Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Have you ever met someone for the first time and had an instant connection? Well, that person for me is my guest today, Stephen Shedletsky. He's a leadership speaker, executive coach, and advisor who's learned from the best, Simon Sinek. He met Simon in 2010 and became the fourth person to join Simon's team. Can you imagine the volume of insights and lessons that Stephen has in his brain from working with Simon and other great leaders? I feel so fortunate to have him on my show to share great value with you today. We dive deep into many topics, including how to establish and keep a speak-up culture to drive innovation and performance at high levels. We also talk about fulfillment and what it really means to keep employees motivated, satisfied, and engaged to deliver customer excellence. Each story and advice shared on this episode is better than the next, and I know you're going to learn a lot. Please subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channel and leave me a review. It means a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Stephen Shedletsky. I'm so happy to have you on my Doing CX Right show. I'm delighted to be here with you, Stacey, and you nailed it on the last name, so bravo. Oh, good. Well, then I'm providing a good guest experience right away. <laughs> I love it. Yes. On, That's important. On brand. On brand. Uh, yes. So I am so happy you're here. I got to experience you teaching and speaking firsthand, and I was really impressed by you. So I'll let you tell who you are. What do you do professionally? Sure. Thank you. I mean, I'm a really big believer in uh, us finding our life's work. So who I am professionally, I strive to make it who I am unprofessionally as well. And sometimes I can be quite unprofessional when being professional too. So uh, my sort of sense of humor guides that a little bit. I'm Stephen. I'm based in Toronto. And I I have a deep-seated belief that every single human being has strengths and when we discover those strengths, because we can be blind to them ourselves and then use those strengths to contribute to something bigger than ourselves and bigger than profit, the result is fulfillment. And so I've devoted my entire life's work as a professional friend, father, all the things to helping people find and pursue what will fulfill them. Because if 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 enough of us do that, we'll just simply live uh, in, a, in a better version of humanity. Mm. So I ask a question of every single guest, but you in particular, I'm actually really excited to ask this question because you have some background around this, which is, what's your why? Hmm. Never heard that question before. No, I'm kidding. Uh, my, my why, my purpose is to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. For me, you know, meaningful means both lightness and fun. You know, we've cracked some jokes and had some laughs even before the the red recording light went on for this episode. And for me, meaningful means depth. I mean, 
the real deep, intimate conversations that help people grow and become closer together. I care about those. Um, and I care about us having deeper relationship with ourselves, self-awareness, with the people around us and the world around us. Mm. Now, you had some real on-the-job training around why. Can you share a little bit about that before we get into the meat of the show? Sure. So I, I started my, you know, post, post-college post um, career in the late 2000s, so 2000 and gosh, 2009. And on my first day, on my first job ever, a thousand people were let go post-merger. And I was the young kid walking in as many more people were walking out. And it was tumultuous. And it took me about, I would say, Stacy, about four or five months to realize that I wasn't motivated to do the job that I had. And the first person I made wrong was me. Like, why am I not motivated? Like, I made this choice to say yes to this job. Um, and it was the first time that that really ever happened where I made a choice and it wasn't working out. Uh, and the first person I made wrong was myself. I mean, we've all, I'm sure, enrolled in and taken a course at high school or class sucks in this, but I was in this job with seemingly no end, and it was sucking the life out of me. And that's when a mentor sent me Simon Sinek's uh, How Great Leaders Inspire Action TEDx talk with the golden circle, the three circles. And I watched it after I procrastinated for two months. A mentor sent it to me. I went, eh, TED talk. But I finally watched it. I remember where I was sitting when I watched it, and it just shifted my lens a little bit. And, and everything Simon said was true and sticky and easy to remember and share with others and simple and powerful and profound. And so I literally started drawing circles on napkins and explaining it to anyone who would listen. And I got lucky. I mean, right time, right place. I met Simon at an event uh, in, in Toronto where, where, I, where I'm at. I went to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak, author of Tipping Point and Outliers and David vs. Goliath. And Simon spoke just before him unknowingly to, to me. I was I went with friends and they're like, that's your boy. And I'm like, so cool. And this sort of the the connection I felt to Simon and his message on the screen was only amplified in, in person. Like I felt like I had find my my order. Mm -hmm. And I got lucky, like right time, right place. I I found someone who represents a vision of the world that I want to live in, one that is more inspired, safe, and fulfilled for you, me, our friends, our family. And yeah, right time, right place. I was able to join his team as the as the fourth person to join his team in 2011. And it's been a pretty cool 10-year journey um, being a part of it and having many roles on on the Simon team. Uh, which I which I still do, yeah. uh, as well as some of my my own work uh, on leadership and culture as well. Well, start with the why is is spoken about every company, every leader, and he's made such an impact. And you too have really contributed to that impact. Um, again, that's where I got to meet you, and it really does pay it forward and really brings teams together. I've used that book and the book club that he's done with my own team to help each other understand our why and then be able to support each other's why. Mm -hmm. Well, so, so I, I've also done some research because I, I mean, I've devoted the last 13 years of my life and career to, to purpose. And then a friend of mine sent me a book recently 
by the authors Neil Doshi and Lindsay McGregor called Prime to Perform. And they talk about total motivation. And so there's three motivators that you actually want to maximize for. Their purpose is one of them, potential is the other, and the first is play. And in fact, their research proves that play is two times more motivating than purpose, which is like, like my mind blows, but it makes sense. I mean, play in, in context of the golden circle, play would be our hows. Our hows are our strengths and values in action. And when we're acting in line with our hows, we feel flow. Uh, and so play is doing something for the sheer enjoyment of doing it. Like we all have these things in our jobs or in our lives that we, we get lost in time as we do them. That's play. And so play is very much directly related. It's, it's inextricably linked to, to the activity, which is why it can be so motivating. Purpose is once removed from the activity. I do this or we do this to have this second order impact on another. Still motivating, but not actually as motivating as play which um, has been sort of an earth-shattering discovery for me. Uh, so it's this mix of play, purpose, and then potential is I do this so that I can get there. I'm in this CX role so that I can become a chief sales officer or start up my own company or pay for my kid's college, whatever it might be. Do you think that those elements are what's missing lately that's causing the great resignation? I think the greatest, it's a great question. I think the greatest thing that is missing is actually something that underpins it all, which is psychological safety. I think the great resignation is people voting with their feet because of crappy cultures, cultures that are actually deleterious, toxic. So my, my favorite equation for culture is culture equals values multiplied by behavior. And the more power you have, which sometimes can be title and sometimes isn't title. You know, I've been in, in roles and organizations where I don't have the title, but I have influence, um, which means I still have power. And so the more senior or the more power you have in an organization or team or community, the more your behavior matters on the impact of the, of, of the culture. So absolutely, I think play, purpose, and potential are, 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 are motivators. The other motivators that Doshi and, and McGregor describe that you actually want to keep low are emotional pressure, economic or reward pressure, and inertia. So emotional pressure is I don't do it because I want to. I do it because I feel like I have to. It's ye old mother-in-law syndrome. Economic pressure is I'm doing it for the economic reward. So it's actually demotivating. If people are only doing something because they think they're doing it for just the money, it's just a J-O-B. Similarly, if you said to me, hey, Stephen, um, if you lose those 15 pounds you've been trying to for the past 24 months, I'll give you $3,000. And if I go, $3,000, I will not lose the weight. Or if I do, I'll gain it right back. But if I go 15 pounds, finally, like I really want to do it. I'll actually lose it and keep it off because my motivation lies in the play, purpose, and potential, not in the economic reward. And then the last is inertia, which is I do it because it's the way it's been done. Uh, I'm in this senior job because I have nothing else to do. I'm following this process or guideline because that's what we do. Don't rock the boat. And so I, I think I would link emotional pressure with 
with cruddy and toxic culture. And, you know, there, my, my research has found that the pervasive view of leaders and managers is that they suck. And yet I don't think many managers and leaders and bosses wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to suck today. Like, I'm actually going to make my people's uh, uh, days worse. I think the percentage of the population that does that is far less than 1%. Far less, you know, probably even less than 0.1%. But so many, you know, the problem with leadership is we don't define what we mean by the term. People think it's about being in charge. It's not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. We then, if we have the wrong definition, we select the wrong people. We select high performers as opposed to people who are high on trust. And then even worse, once we do select someone, we then don't give them training. You know, so many of us go to school and study and get these degrees and have all this experience and then we go, do you want to be a leader? And you're like, more pay, more responsibility. I'm now in charge of the people of the job that I used to be the best in the room at. Sure. But it's a totally different skill set. And there's a gap between when someone gets their first management job and when they get their first formal management training. And it's 12 years. On average, we get promoted at 29 and don't get formal training until we're 41. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is that is uh, shocking and makes no sense. So you talk a lot about a speak up company culture. Can mm-hmm. you explain how is that an effective way to drive innovation and performance at high levels? Oh, uh, yes, great question, and I agree. Um, so when I talk about psychological safety and Harvard researcher Amy Edmondson is, you know, sort of the founding mother of psychological safety. And she does amazing work, has a book called The Fearless Organization. The thing I don't like about the marketing of psychological safety is it kind of feels like we put on a white lab coat as we talk about people's emotions. And so I've been talking about it as speak up culture. It's far more action oriented. And, you know, I think it acknowledges what every single human being wants to feel which is seen, heard, valued. And so, and there's a wonderful inextricable link between the degree to which you have a speak up culture and the degree to which you have innovation and sustainable optimal performance. So speak up culture is, uh, I view it, Stacey, like a boxing ring. So if you envision a boxing ring, When you step up into it, you have to step up. It's a big step. You have to open up the ropes and go in and the spotlight's on you. There's reputational risk. There's career risk. There's relationship risk. You know, if I speak up and share feedback with a friend or feedback with someone who reports to me or feedback up, or if I share my best ideas or even just good ideas or bad ideas, (laughs) if I um, share a concern like I'm not trained for the job that I'm in, or I'm not sure I understand or believe in our strategy, or if I dissent, if I actually say I don't agree with you, senior leader. These are vitally important things to have inside of our organization. One of my favorite leadership quotes comes from Andy Stanley, which is leaders who do not listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. And that is the kiss of death inside any organization. And we, this is what happened with a Boeing 737 MAX 8 
disaster. There were senior managers, there was a senior engineer who spoke up and said, for the first time in my life, I do not feel comfortable having my family fly on a Boeing, a Boeing plane. And, uh, and he was former military, and he said that he's seen military operations shut down for far less, to which the response from his senior leader was, this is not the military, this is for profit. What? Um, and they went ahead, despite all the warning signs that this was not going to go well, and then it finally didn't go well, and hundreds of people are now dead. That's the most extreme scenario, a disastrous scenario, that when people did speak up, they felt encouraged enough, they felt out of their own integrity that it was worth it to say, something's wrong, something could be better, we need to slow down, we need to stop, there's too much time or financial pressure, quality's going down. And as long as you reward people for that behavior, they'll keep doing it. But as soon as you ignore or worse, punish people for speaking up and sharing of their ideas, concerns, or even dissenting, um, that's the kiss of death. I think there's four words that leaders don't say enough to actually drive this kind of culture. And that is, I have your back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think more important than the words are the actions because it's been said to me and it's not been followed through with action. Um, it's been said to me before that I have your back um, and it's been used against me so that I tell you more information and so that you use it against me and my colleagues. So more important than the words is the behavior. You know, and this is, this is the definition of gaslighting. Gaslighting is when you know, you would come to me and say, you know, Stephen, I, I, I have these issues or I'm feeling this way. And I would say to you, your feelings are wrong. I'm very sorry to inform you, but your read on that situation is inaccurate and you should feel this way. That's gaslighting. Toxic positivity is an, a, a far milder, gentler version of it. Toxic positivity is good vibes only. We can only talk about the future and we can only talk about good things. I don't want to talk about those five friends that we just let go uh, last quarter. Sorry, we need to focus on, on the future. Well, that's denying human beings of processing their emotions. And if you don't create a safe space for them to do that, you'll lose them as well. And so, yeah, it's really important. You know, organizations have been through hard times through COVID. I hope that organizations have done many, many other things before they've done layoffs. But if it ends up being that way, it's that you need grief counseling. You literally, you've terminated employees. There are now people who are no longer part of your day-to-day -day life or it's harder and you need to provide grief counseling. Mm. Well, I also think keep it real. So when somebody, especially a leader of a team is gone, Bring mm -hmm. everyone together. Let's talk about it. Let's not hide and pretend it didn't happen. Let's, you know, talk about it sucks. Now, what are we going to do together as a family, as a work family to continue N instead of having this elephant in the room and pretend? Yeah. And to me, I've seen that happen too much. Yeah. I, I, th so there's, there's two things. One is how can we do that effectively? whether we're in-person, remote, or, or hybrid. The other is my response to the word family. Because, you know, do you have any kids? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Would, would you ever let go of your kids if you had a bad quarter? <laughs> Never. I don't think the office is family. It, it isn't. It's too conditional. Mm. And, 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 and quite frankly, if I had a senior leader come to me after layoffs and say, we're a family, I would go like, hell we are. You just let go of my brother and my sister. Mm. We're not family. And so, and, and that's okay. Like, let's call it what it is. That's okay. You can say part of what makes this place special is we have certain values. You can say, I would even push if you say we treat people like family and be like, eh, you know, you still fire, you know, or you still let go of a client or you still let go of someone who isn't working out. I actually think more important than people are the values and beliefs that bind us together. So now talking about customer experience and employee experience, I'm, I'm a devout follower of the values and beliefs, mm. which means if I have a customer who is behaving outside of the values and beliefs, I can say to that customer, much like if I were to have a guest that comes into my home and treats my life partner or my children with disrespect, do I just let it slide, which means that I actually disrespect my own family? Or do I say, hi, we need to talk. We don't treat each other that way. If you want to stay here, you have to cut that out. Any questions? Great. And so we can fire a customer if they, even if they give us a lot of money, or we can coach a customer around our values. And similarly with our people, that if, if our people live you know, culture equals values times behavior. It behooves us to have clear values. I'm a fan of articulating values as verbs. It's very hard to live authenticity, but I can say and do what I actually believe. It's very hard to put integrity into action, but I can uh, say and do what's right, even if it's hard and even if no one's looking. Or excellence. Like, what the heck does excellent mean? It means do great work. Like, that's what excellence means, right? <laughs> and so if you live and behave into those values, we reward, we recognize in the way that you wish to be rewarded and recognized, which is different for different people. And if your people live outside of those values, it's now a conversation of our values and beliefs are more important than any, any person on this team, inclusive of CEO. Either you need to live inside of those, or if you don't, this isn't going to go well for you. Um, and we need to talk about offering you to the competition. <laughs> so you also talk about Fulfillment. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And how is that connected to all this? Sure. Can I say one more thing just around the huddling the team up? So one of the things that I see leaders do wrong, especially during COVID, is we'll do all hands meetings, whether it's on, you know, on the computer Zoom or even in room. And the best place to have close conversations is not in front of hundreds of our best friends, which is oxymoronic. It's in smaller group setting. And so the number of all hands meetings that I've seen where senior leaders go, any questions and seemingly count backwards from three? No, okay, let's move on. And silence does not mean agreement or, or consensus, nor do nodding heads. Um, and so I think leaders need to go, okay, I see some of you nodding. What do you agree with? What don't you agree with? Before we put you on the spot and have you answer in front of 
all 60 of you or all 15 of you or all 300 of you or all 1,500 of you or so on, we've set up breakout rooms where you'll be able to be matched with a senior leader and you can have a more you know, close-knit, smaller group conversation. Please keep track of the questions that come up that you know you don't really have answers to and we'll come back to you on those. Like that's what I think we should do as, a, as opposed to sort of all, these all hands meetings all, all the time if we really do want to hear our our people's voices. Yes, and a speak-up culture. Yeah, yes. So with, um, we're coming close to the end, so I do want to squeeze in the topic of fulfillment. Yes. That has a lot of meaning. What is that to you? So fulfillment, the way I define fulfillment is discovering and then using our strengths to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. It's a, it's a, it's really a mixture of play, purpose, and potential, as as Doshi and McGregor would describe it. I'm using my strengths, things that I'm naturally gifted at, that give me energy to contribute towards something, to to a purpose, to something bigger than myself that I care about. And I feel as though there's room for me to grow. That I haven't reached a ceiling. I haven't reached a, a point of inertia. I believe that leaders also, when we talk about the Great Resignation and to prevent it. I also, I believe Mm -hmm. that we need to be aware of what do our employees love to do and start to free up time from the minutiae, from the tasks that don't bring fulfillment. And some of it, some of it may not be able to go away, but I bet there are tasks that can. Yes, and part of our strength as human beings, is our diversity. You have strengths, I have strengths. I have weaknesses and blind spots, you have weaknesses and blind spots. This is the, vul- this is the value of vulnerability. Vulnerability is, is, is exposing of our weaknesses and our strengths, and it forms better teams. So it's often that the thing that I dread, like I'm not great with project management, I'm great at starting something, I'm not so good at finishing things, which means I would be it would behoove me to partner up with someone who's really organized, really disciplined, likes to finish things, who's going to push me, you know, um, but who also respect. And when I say I need, I just need two hours break, you know. So that also helps inform because one person's yum is another person's yuck, and one person's yuck is another person's yum. And so, how do we form teams? That's what makes us valuable as a species. As, as individuals, we're junk but together we're remarkable. And then there's also other work that uh, other vendors or other teams could do and take off our plate if it isn't our sort of highest quality, most strategic work as well. But back to what you said before, you have to have a psychological safe culture to be able to admit what you just said, where I'm not good at certain things and it not be used against me. 100%. If you don't have psychological safety, people spend an inordinate amount of time and energy hiding, hiding things from each other, which could be information, which could be strengths and weaknesses, right? Because it's this notion that you never know when you're going to step on a landmine and say the wrong thing or share the wrong thing with someone that it's then taken advantage of. So absolutely, this notion of just good old trusting genuine relationships that 
You're a team when you share information. Oh my God, thank you. And you're given credit. I got this slide deck from Stacy. It's fantastic. If anyone has questions, Stacy might be the right person to ask. As opposed to, here's the work that I've done on. Are you kidding me? And unfortunately, uh, there are certain members of the population who are more susceptible to that type of behavior than, than others when talking about DEI as well, from a gender perspective and from a representation perspective as well. Well, with your example of uh, the PowerPoint and give credit due, I, I'm imagining I hear Simon Sinek in my ear, like eaters, leaders eat last. Yes. And that's probably part of that lesson. Yeah. Is it eaters, eaters lead last? No, it's leaders, <laughs> leaders eat last. Yes, yes, totally. Yes. Oh, I love that. So we're coming to the very end here. I want to ask you two final questions Sure. that I ask everybody. And I'm going to have to consolidate all these answers because each one is just so powerful. One is, if I had tons of leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs of businesses in my room right now, what is the key takeaway? What's the one thing you want them to know? So two things. Listening is a skill you can actually sit in a two-hour class and become a better listener. But what you can't do is become more compassionate by sitting in a two-hour class. That, as my friend Rich Devaney describes, is an attribute. And if you want, if, you know, I'm often asked what makes a great leader, and it is not charisma, it is not influence, it is not decisiveness, it's care and empathy um, and compassion. That's what makes a great leader. Um, great leaders care for their people. Leaders, great leaders know that they're in the business of helping people grow. And when you help people grow, they'll run through walls, mountains for you, whether they're on your team still or not. And so, um, yeah, dealers, uh, leaders are dealers in time and attention. Uh, and I would encourage any leader to work on their compassion muscle if they mm -hmm. really want to harness the power and potential of their people. Mm, I hear being intentional throughout that whole, that whole thing there. Yes. I, last question is, sure. if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old mm -hmm. self, what would you tell younger Stephen that you know now, didn't know then? I think younger Stephen knew this, but reaffirming, and I think my parents, my dad especially taught me this at a young age, that the most important thing you will ever have in your life are relationships and each other. That's it. Love that. Someone once said to me, when it comes to conflicts, which we have at work and family and anywhere, you have to ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Yeah. Or even do you want to be right or do you want to be better? Yes. If you want to be right, you'll end up bitter, not better. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I know people are going to want to find you. I'll put it in the show notes. Where's the best place to reach you? The best place to reach me right now, I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky in the world at present, if you could imagine it. So all you many Shedletskys out there, of which there aren't many, don't name your children Stephen. Uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn and best to, best to be reached there. Well, thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom, encouraging a speak up culture, because we just heard how important that is to thrive personally and professionally. Wonderful. Thank Thanks for the opportunity. Stacey, I hope it helps your audience. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me 
and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, doing CX right.